The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Well, if you've just joined us, good morning. And uh, it's just after 8, 7 minutes past 8 to be exact here on AM Live on SAFM. And it is time for the Forum at 8. Now, uh, this morning, uh, we're looking at what's happening in the platinum sector. In light of the ongoing strike in platinum industry uh, on the Forum at 8 this morning, we look at the socioeconomic situation of miners. Uh, members of trade union AMCU embarked on a three-month-long wage strike demanding 12,000 500 rand in basic monthly wages. The employers say that they are unable to afford this month, uh, this amount rather, but uh, the union and its members seem to be holding out for that uh, 12,500 rand. On the forum this morning, we are asking do we understand the socioeconomic issues in mining communities? And uh, we are joined for this particular discussion by David van Veek, who's a lead researcher at uh, the Benchmarks Foundation, and they, of course, conducted research on life in such mining communities. David, good morning, and thanks for coming in. Um, good morning, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate uh, being here. And on the line, we have uh, Mr. Nick Rocky, who is Managing Director at Trilog, which is a research organization. Trilog have also done research on how mining companies can improve and develop the lives of communities they mine in. Uh, Nick, good morning and thanks for coming through. Good morning. It's a pleasure. I'm going to start with you, David. You know, this strike is... In its 11th week, it is just about three months long. Three months of employers, not uh, 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 employees, not earning any income, no money, and the impact that this has had not only on them but on their families and the communities that they live in. Well, I think that um, the impact has been huge on the communities that the workers live in. You must remember it's the month of January, February, March. It's the start of the school year. Uh, People had to buy school uniforms. They had to pay school fees. They had to uh, come up with a whole lot of expenses after Christmas, um, which which they, they, they had to deal with. In a normal year, we have found that in the Rustenburg area and, and, and elsewhere in the country as well, during January, people's consumption of food actually goes down to afford school fees and the cost of education and so on. So this year, it has been doubly bad. And with many of these workers, they have, uh, they have a double bind. Uh, some of them have two families. They have families in Rustenburg and they have families in the Eastern Cape as well, uh, which families depend on their income. And, and so as a consequence, um, they have been suffering both in the labor sending area and in uh, the area around the mines as well. And just, you know, the tangible effects of what is going on right now. Well, I think that uh, informal traders, for example, Shabins, um, 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 you know, small businesses, the small enterprises that sustain many of these communities and so on, have really taken a beating uh, in the Rustenburg area. And, and I think also uh, many of these mine workers also owed money to money lenders and things like that. And, 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 and it has a ripple effect uh, throughout, throughout the economy. You know, everybody uh, would be affected from the taxi industry right through to um, you know uh, small businesses and so on within these within these communities and, and everyone is talking about the fact that there has been a really marked marked slowdown in, in 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 trade within the communities and so on and therefore also a, a slowdown in income uh, throughout the communities because the mine workers often are the only people who have got formal 
um, employment and their formal employment then drives all the small industries around in the communities as well and so it has had, it has had an impact right through uh, the entire area. And with regard to schooling, David, um, how has uh, this uh, particular strike affected that? Well, I think that uh, most of the schools are operational and so on, but, you know, um, your schools also depend on school fees and so on, and, and, and obviously that is not coming in. Um, that, would, that would impact on um, the actual management per school, and, and, and also it would impact on the morale of teachers and, and the, the education um, 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 facilities in the area and so on. And uh, let me just uh, cross over and, uh, you know, speak to Nick for a moment. Now, Nick, we know that mining companies are supposed to actually do some work and uh, improve the lives and the livelihoods of those in the communities in which they mine. But what this has done, this particular strike, is highlight, you know, the things that are perhaps not being done by the mines. Yeah, I think I think the mines um, put a, a huge amount of effort into socio-economic development, um, to 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 call it that. It's um, basically projects that they fund, clinics, schools, roads, infrastructure, etc. And, and we estimate that they probably spend somewhere between 1.5 and, and 2 billion rands, uh, you know, amongst all the miners, um, on on socio-economic development. Um, the, the difficulty is that it's a very complex space, and um, in spite of this kind of spending, uh, it's sometimes difficult to see the sort of high-level impact that the money is actually achieving. Um, so there are a lot of projects on the ground. Um, right now, some of those projects are stalled, um, but uh, it's, it's sometimes difficult to see sort of net gains coming out of those projects. And what about the housing and uh, living conditions around the mining, uh, t- in mining towns, as it were? Well, again, I think all the mines are investing quite substantially in, in, in housing um, development um, programs. Um, I think that's, uh, to some extent, uh, uh, negated by the living out allowance that, that, that is offered to, um, to miners who who often opt to take the, the income rather than the security of a home and set up uh, in, in um, informal settlements, um, and the conditions often aren't as, um, aren't as good in those settlements. And, uh, you know, they take on other families, they, they spend the money elsewhere, they commit, um, they, they get caught up in loan shark type activities, and I think that's, that's a destabilizing influence uh, in general. I think that there are, I mean, houses take a long time to build, um, and I think all the big miners are, are investing quite substantially in these schemes. Um, but they will take time to, A, build the houses, and, 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 and B, um, develop communities within those, those regions. It's one thing building houses, but it's another having a community that's thriving and, and functional uh, around the housing complex. If I, could, if I could come in here, um, I think that um, we should note the history of mining in South Africa. It's very important. In 1946, uh, Ernest Oppenheimer said that uh, mining companies in South Africa should build um, villages around mines for workers. They should phase out the migrant labor system. Um, and uh, we are now, some 60, 70 years later, 
and, and, and much of this has not actually been done. The other thing that I think is very, very problematic about the housing developments of mining companies is that there are unintended consequences. For example, after the Marikana shooting, um, Lonman has converted most of its hostels now into family accommodation into single men's units. But where they accommodated about 18,000 workers 10 years ago, now they are only able to accommodate 3,000 workers. And so that surplus of workers have been pushed out into the community around the mine. Um, the mine workers don't take up the housing that mining companies build because they, they, they don't want to buy the housing and, and, and they don't want to be bonded to banks because that limits their ability, for example, to take labor action because if they miss payments, they lose the house. And also they lose the house if they get retrenched, if there's a downturn in the, uh, in the economy. The, the other thing is that workers would prefer if mining companies built rented accommodation where they, where they can rent the house and move, move back to the labor sending area that they came from. You know, you will find if you go move through Limpopo and so on, you go to Sekukuni land and places like that, you will find a lot of people who were migrant workers in Johannesburg, for example, went and built themselves beautiful houses in these rural areas. That is what they save for throughout their working life, to go and build a beautiful house in an area where they can have some cattle, where they can uh, um, um, uh, do a bit of farming and so on in their retirement, and which, is, which is a normal, uh, logical thing for them to do. So buying a a house near a mine is not in the long-term vision of a, of, a, of a migrant worker. What is he going to do with that house once he retires? And also, it's very easy to lose the house. Mine workers also tell us that the issue of bank bonds and so on are not explained to them properly, you know, and so they don't know what they're going in for. The other thing that really, really is worrying is that um, mining companies do give a lot of money towards local government, and a lot of that money just disappears. Um, you know, there's a big uh, scandal going on in the northwest province, for example, where around 260 million rands that were supposed to be allocated to tribes have somehow vanished, and no one can account for it. We had a discussion with the Chamber of Mines about this particular issue, and we said, why do mining companies give lump sums of money to local government instead of giving the money in tranches on the basis of actual projects. So in other words, give the money step by step by step as the project actually unfolds rather than just giving the local government a lump sum of money and then nothing happens with that money, no one can account for it and so on. You know, there has to be better accountability of how the funds that get allocated in terms of social and labor plans are used. Very often in service delivery protests and so on in these areas, people also attack the very clinics and schools and things like that that get built. Mm. And the reason for that is because the local communities feel that they were not they did not participate in the planning nor did they participate in the actual construction you know companies like stocks and stocks and so on are brought in from Johannesburg to actually come and build the 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 clinics and the, and, and 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 the houses and so on and the local community feels alienated from it. They feel that these could have been job opportunities. Now, if you look at the employment statistics for the Rustenburg area, local people actually find very few jobs. There's massive unemployment in most of the villages where we're working. There is an excess of 50% unemployment in those communities. And, 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 and a lot of kids come through the education system. They have matric. They can read and write. And they are very often told that, no, we can't employ you because you, either you don't have 
have the experience or you don't have maths and science. And then we find, uh, as researchers, people operating in the uh, smelters and so on who can't read and write, who can't speak any of the local languages, people from Mozambique and so on. And then local people don't, uh, you know, are told that you can't be employed because you are not uh, qualified or you don't have the experience for the job. You know, and so you create a frustration. You invest in education, but there's no follow-through. Mm. You know, uh, and, and so you don't absorb uh, those who you send through the system. Well, we uh, just have to take a quick spot break. What we'll do, I'll give you an opportunity to respond to that immediately afterwards, uh, Nick Rocky. And also we'll uh, invite calls on 0891-104-208. And if you'd like, you can also send us an SMS uh, to 34701. We'll take those right after this. This summer's hottest hatch, the Volvo V40 T3, can be yours with 0% deposit from just 3699 per month. Offer over 72 months, retail price 292500 rate to customer 4.69%, balloon payment 81900 cost to customer 384577 Subject to credit approval by Volvo Car Financial Services, a division of West Bank and First Rand Bank Limited, an authorized financial services and credit provider. Offer includes VAT and CO2 emissions tax and is available while stocks last. Another reason to consider Volvo. Tired of working for a boss? Want to own your own business? Then don't miss the International Franchise Expo at the Santon Convention Center from the 10th to the 12th of April. See the latest franchise brands, shop for exciting business opportunities, and get expert advice at the Speaker's Corner. With the economy in recovery, now is the time to start your own business and be your own boss. Join TV licenses at this year's Expo and experience anything and everything that is franchising today. Remember, the International Franchise Expo, 10 to 12 April, Santon Convention Center. TV licenses, making a difference. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Thank you for joining us if you have just come in. And if you've been with us, thanks for staying with us throughout the morning here on AM Live on SAFM. And it is the Forum at 8. And this morning, we are looking at uh, the socioeconomic situation of minors. And our guests this morning are Mr. Nick Rocky, who is Managing Director at Trilog, as well as David Van Veek, Lead Researcher at Benchmarks Foundation. Nick, I promise to give you an opportunity to respond. Yeah, no, thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, no, I think just firstly in terms of the housing, um, one's got to be careful of generalizations. Um, you know, we've done some research um, uh, in one of these housing um, estates that we both going door to door, um, asking the, the, the residents about how they felt about, um, you know, acquiring the house, um, the, the quality of the house, whether the bond was explained to them. Uh, we went through a homeowner's uh, situation, we went through a rental situation, and those options both exist. Um, and I think broadly there the, the were issues, um, there were demands, there were not everything was perfect, but broadly the, the people that had taken up those op- opportunities were largely happy that they had taken up those opportunities. And we asked that, first, that question, that very specific question. So one's got to be careful in, uh, in terms of, uh, I'm not discounting uh, what, what David's saying, um, that there might not be enough accommodation, that there are certain issues around uh, where people prefer to invest in housing, um, but certainly it's a complex situation, and 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 certainly there are people that are, are those housing schemes are sought after and are being taken up. Mm. Um, with regard to the the, the funding of projects, um, we go out and look at some of those projects, um, and um, yes, again, without this kind of the fact that, that that perhaps certain funds go in through municipal coffers and don't see. 
um, the light of day at the other end. There's certainly a number of projects where they are joint funded with, with government schools are built. Um, the mines are very good at, uh, at infrastructure and investing in infrastructure. They're clinical at project management. Um, so where they do get involved, um, they, they tend to, to build good facilities. Again, there are white elephants out there. There's not perhaps enough always uh, of local construction, although that is measured and accounted for and sought after in many of the projects that we look at. Um, so, um, yeah, there are projects that are, are, are built that are not effective. There are clinics, for instance, where there's um, not enough consultation with potentially the Department of Health and the clinic is not adequately staffed once it's built. You do find examples of that. But by and large, you also find very uh, needy projects which are, are, are really functioning out there. I think the difficulty um, that mines face is that they are not primarily developmental organizations. Um, so we found an instance the other day where um, one of the mines, uh, there was some research undertaken, not by ourselves, where 100 million rand had been spent on uh, various schools in a, in a, in a certain uh, uh, communities. And they went in, the mine and funded a project to go and see whether that made a difference to the math and science within those schools. And they found that the results just weren't convincing. Uh, in fact, some of the schools closer to the mines were producing worse results uh, uh, than, than, than average. And um, so it's, it's but the, the, the difficulty is that there are all sorts of mitigating factors. Children being... Um, you know, compelled to take up maths and science where some of the other schools compared with they weren't taking up maths and science. And, and minds aren't educationalists, so one does need to draw on expertise and bring that into that environment as opposed to just purely um, expecting a minor to really understand mm. the intricacies of changing the education system. And that's where I think there's good intent often, um, but sometimes muted results coming out of that. And we have talked to, uh, we are of course talking about the socio-economic conditions, uh, prevalent right now around mining communities in light of uh, the strikes taking place. But I'd also like to hear from you what your view is on all of this. Uh, you can uh, send us an SMS to 34701. You can call us on 0891-104-208. Or you can also drop us a tweet or Facebook AM live on SAFM. So that's how you can get in touch with us but uh, I also want to know from our panelists here what are these miners and their families eating right now it's been three months it's been a long three months but just hold on to that thought David because I just want to take some calls in the meantime Prophet OJ calling from Mahikeng good morning good morning Sakina I'm saved by the blood of God Jesus Christ how are you I'm well and you I love you and your panelists eh? thanks yeah uh, Sakina uh, we we know the history of uh, mining and the uh, and and the operations thereof for many years. What what I believe should happen, it is that uh, the, the 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 production of the mines should actually be co-owned by the executives, the community around, and the workers. In other words. It should not be the prerogative of the executives or the owners of, of the mines to decide in their corner there what they uh, want to do in that particular area. It should actually be a, a partnership type of thing. The community around the mines 
should actually co-own the decision on what should happen, uh, you know, to change the socio-economic uh, 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 position. Thank and, you. And the, and the workers should not only be workers, but they should be co-owners. They should be partners of the decisions and the productions, transportation, and everything around the mines. Perfect. Thank you so much, Prophet uh, from Ahi King. Let's go to uh, Donald uh, in Limpopo. Good evening. Uh, good morning, my sister and your friend. <laughs> oh, there goes my pet. <laughs> good morning, Donald. Oh, my sister, I just have some few points to say. Uh, firstly, I just want to know uh, about uh, our miners, if they do have experts, um, especially who check before uh, the area is mined, because uh, recently we've been hearing about people who are crying about their houses that are closer to mines, and they are complaining, saying that uh, everything can happen as mines sometimes uh, blast or fall. Um, secondly, a uh, few years back, uh, we've been hearing about people from Limpopo and the Northern Cape taking the KPLC company to court uh, concerning the people who contracted diseases, um, I think it, uh, it, it involves asbestos. Um, thirdly, I do not know whether we do have, uh, have experts who are able to determine uh, the wages that uh, should be received by miners because we daily hear about um, difficulties that they face economically, especially because many of them who are uh, mine, mine workers, you know, they uh, support uh, many people, you know, from their own families. I just have uh, that three points, my, my sister. Thank my you. Could... Thank you so much, Mike, out in Randburg. We'll attempt to answer those. And then uh, Martha D in uh, Umtata, good morning. Good morning, Ms. Kamwando, and good morning to your panelists. Good morning. I think you should hear from somebody who is on the ground. I'm calling you from Amtata in the Eastern Cape, and most of the miners that I come mostly from this Cape. I think I want to support uh, the, the one of your panelists who says that he's been doing research, and many of the miners don't want to buy the house or rent it because they are saving to buy beautiful houses here at home. And if you could come here, say, traveling on M2 from Amtata down to East London, you find that along the road there are beautiful houses, and you think that they are coming from teachers or other people. No, they belong to the miners. And I also think that Mr. Nick is not very much telling the truth because the miners do have a choice, but they'd rather opt for staying in the shelves in order to save, to come back home, educate their kids so that they don't become miners like themselves. Thank you very much. Martha, do you, before I let you go, have you noticed any difference uh, in the, uh, the lives of people whose uh, family members are out of work at the moment on strike? Definitely. It's so difficult for them. Fortunately, uh, 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 I'm in Antata, but I come from Antata, a rural area on the borders of KZN and Lesotho, and many of our relatives work in the mines. It's either that some of them just take a package and come back home, and then they come back home.
worse, but it's still worse than while they are still in the mines working. Because it's not all of them who want to go on strike, but you know then majority rules. Okay, thank you so much, Martha D. And uh, we're talking about uh, the socio-economic conditions in mining communities this morning. Love to hear your views. Uh, 34701 is where you can send those SMSs or give us a call on 0891-104-208. We'll continue with this conversation with our guests right after this news update with Vibakshni Chetty. It's time now to touch base with Rowena Bird to find out what's coming up on her show at 9. Good morning, Rowena. Good morning, Sakina. Coming up on Morning Talk today, uh, the Oscar Pistorius trial is going to be very central to the program. So we're going to be crossing intermittently to the courtroom, the Gauteng North High Court this morning to uh, find out what's happening as Oscar Pistorius continues to give evidence in his trial. We will, however, follow normal programming, which entails our theme this month of 20 years of democracy celebrations. The focus for today will be negative myths about South Africa. What negatives do we believe about ourselves and what causes us to stay focused on the negative? Our guest believes that uh, there, there is a lot of good that goes unacknowledged in this country and we'll find out more in the first hour. In the second hour, we will have uh, Talking Finance with Brian Hirsch and today the focus will be on what to consider when moving from money market and fixed interest investments to growth assets. And that's going to be followed by Property Matters with Dineo Molomo. And today the slot will discuss the progress that has been made in property ownership 20 years into our freedom and democracy. The final hour of morning talk today will um, talk about the politics of Kenya. We'll all remember the Westgate shopping mall attack in September last year where 67 people were killed in that attack and uh, Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility for that attack. We'll get the latest from that country and also talk about its politics with Somalia. And that ends Morning Talk for today. Thank you, Sakina. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It is 25 minutes before 9 o'clock and it is the Forum at 8. Uh, thank you so much for staying with us. And if you've just joined us, welcome to the show. Uh, to This morning we are talking about the socio-economic conditions in uh, mining communities. Taking your calls, taking your tweets. Love to hear what uh, your views are on this particular matter. And of course our guest this morning, we're speaking to David Van Veek, lead researcher at Benchmarks Foundation, as well as Mr. Nick uh, Rocky, who is a uh, managing director at Trilog. Uh, just some of the SMSs coming through on uh, 34701. Uh, this one from Brian Kumalo in Peter Maritzburg who says, how do AMCU generate money if its members are not working? How do they pay their membership? And a few other SMSs coming through. Mzwandile and Khutsong says, mining communities are not benefiting from these mines. Lumka says, Joseph Mchunjwa and his bully boys have painted themselves into a corner of pride and stubbornness at the expense of 68% of the workers he is holding captive. And uh, Tulani Sibande says, uh, we uh, 65 Zim uh, migrants paid uh, 6,780 rand per month by Amplats, uh, left Zim as we were paid uh, 1,850 by state-owned mines. 
why should we continue with this particular strike? So uh, those are some of uh, the sentiments coming through. And uh, just going back to the calls we took uh, previously, and um, maybe I should put uh, this one uh, to you there, Nick. Um, we had a caller, a prophet, who spoke about joint ventures. Now, if we look at uh, the Department of Mineral and Resources and uh, the uh, charter, the mining uh, charter impact assessment uh, report that was issued in that regard, what have the mines done thus far to ensure that their employees actually do start owning parts of these mines? Okay. Seem to have a problem with Nick's line there. We'll try and get him back. But, David, perhaps you can weigh in on that. I think that there is the option of um, employee share ownership schemes, and a lot of mines do have employee share ownership schemes. There is a slight problem with it, that when workers go on strike or they are retrenched or they are fired, uh, what happens? Because I, I did some research last year in the Northern Cape at an iron mine where a lot of workers were fired in 2012. But they all have the share certificate still, and now they don't know whether they are still actually share owners in the mine or not. Um, so that issue needs to be clarified because there's a lot of confusion around that particular issue. And then, of course, we have the issue of Bafukeng, where a, a community does actually own mines and own some mines 100% of, of the mine. Um, the problem is that uh, when you have community um, shareholding, you must ensure that you set up a system whereby all the villages in the entire community could equally benefit. And there are huge disputes in the Bafokeng area over land, but there are also huge, <coughs> huge disputes about how the money and so on is dispersed to communities and so on. And many of the villages feel that they are not benefiting at all, you know, and that all the, all the benefits accrue to Pokeng, which is according to them, highly overdeveloped compared to their own villages and so on. So th- th- there, is, there are lots and lots of issues <coughs> around this joint share ownership um, um, issue. Um, I just would like to address some of the other issues that callers um, made as well. The issue of Sekukuni land, um, and, and I was there last week where a mining company did not set up a proper exclusion zone and it, it, it built a mine right up against the mountainside and every time it blasts the rocks come flying into the village and I saw for myself and I took lots and lots of pictures and spoke to the community about these rocks coming to flying through their roofs and into their yards and so on and people are going to get killed in that mine because uh, the, the, the mine is not applying the proper safety requirements that you have for an open cast mine and what we then discovered from, from talking to the community was it seems as if that, that mine has an invalid mining license and we come across this very often that mm. people have invalid mining licenses, they don't have water licenses and they don't receive respect the safety regulations and so on that is there and frankly the DMR is under a lot of pressure to be everywhere at the same time with a whole lot of new mines popping up everywhere uh, to ensure that uh, in fact mines do uh, behave properly and when we spoke to that particular community although they are required by the uh, Minerals and Petroleum Resources Development Act to actually consult with the community, they were never consulted. The community just woke up and the mine was there and they started blasting. Um, Then finally, um, with regard to the issue of um, 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 wages, um, a South African mine worker, uh, you know, after... uh, after deductions and so on, gets around 4,500. an Australian mine worker, after deductions, entry level, 25,000 francs. Now, 
mining started at the same time in Australia as in South Africa. Yet Australian mining is now considered to be advanced mining, and South African mining is considered to be third world mining. Now, how did we get to the situation where we got stuck in a model that is 19th century, while Australia advanced beyond that particular model? In Australia, they also use migrant workers and so on like here, but... uh, as I've just indicated, there's a huge difference in, 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 in the wages. They will say that, oh, the conditions there are different and that the, uh, the mines there are more mechanized and so on. But the reason why we got stuck in the current system is exactly because of the cheap labor model that we've been using all along, and we haven't moved beyond that. And so even the design of our mines is designed for cheap labor. So the circumference of a mine shaft in South Africa is much smaller than the circumference of a mine shaft elsewhere in the world. So we can't actually put machines down the mine. We have to disassemble the machine and reassemble it underground. You know, so the whole thing of mechanization becomes very, very difficult. Exact. And so, so long as we're not mechanized, we're not going to employ local labor. We're going mm. to be reliant on migrant labor. And if we listen to what the callers were highlighting there, mm. Nick, um, it would seem as though the mining charter is not being um, you know, implemented uh, to the degree that obviously was envisaged when it was brought about. Yeah, I, think, I think the mining charter is, is philosophically very good, um, but in practice difficult to, to, um, to make a reality. Um, you know, mines are, are inherently not sustainable. There are minerals underground, and when those minerals run out, the mine closes down. So to uh, ensure that there's life after mining is, is sometimes difficult. And mines uh, invest in trying to start up uh, enterprise development initiatives um, uh, around the mine uh, that aren't uh, really in the mine value chain. Um, the reality is it's very difficult. Um, a lot of them fail, fail um, right from the outset. Um, and even if the, the, the enterprise development projects that tend to work um, are dependent to some extent, whether it's a guest house uh, or some sort of crop growing uh, initiative. Uh, those initiatives are, are also dependent on, on, on the mine. Um, so, I, and I think that the, the whole, I mean, the, the massive investment that goes in uh, to socioeconomic development is not really tracked at a high level. There aren't enough baseline studies done. There's not enough macro thinking um, that's put to this. There's not enough collaboration uh, between the mines. Uh, a sort of project mindset prevails where mines go out there and do a project that gets signed off on the social and labour plans, but um, and then they, uh, you know, once the project's done, uh, the mine walks away and says, "Okay, we can carry on mining." But no one really is looking at the bigger picture and saying, "Okay, well, that school you built, what are the results doing? That clinic you're working, are the health, is the health of the community getting better or, or not?" And those sort of measures and outcomes-based uh, tracking. Is, is not adequately done, I think. Um, just on the issue of, of um, co-ownership, um, I came in a little later, um, but David was talking about the complexity of sharing wealth um, and through trust structures, and I'd like to endorse that. It's, it's a highly complex space. Um, and where trusts are set up to try and distribute the uh, wealth to the community, we very seldom at this stage are seeing successful models where that wealth is transferring down to projects on the ground that really benefit mm. grassroots communities. But why is that? Is that because uh, there's, uh, you know, a lack uh, of will on the part of the owners? Why is that? Well, 
I mean, my sense is, and, and, and this is just really my sense, is that um, the, the way trust structures are set up, um, and um, the power is transferred to community leaders to actually determine where the funding goes. Um, there's often a jostling for power within that community, um, and it's not a pure system. You know, once there's money available, um, everyone wants their share. And, uh, and then the mine can't control that necessarily, um, and it's difficult if it gives it away and it's not successfully distributed, then the mines are recoverable. So it's a bit of a you damned if you do and you damned if you don't situation, the way I see it. Well, I David? Think, I think that um, in the Rustenburg area, for example, um, there's a lot of mines operating in a very small space. Um, and all of them are competing in terms of their corporate social responsibility programs instead of collaborating. So I would like to endorse what Nick says. I think the mines in the Rustenburg area, for example, would do much better to actually pool their funds and do projects together than what they do uh, projects in conflict with each other. But then that removes the opportunity for adver advertisement, you know, because you can't put up your board and say, um, this school was built by such and such a company, because it would be a collaborative attempt. The other thing is very often with projects is that very often they're not properly consulted with government and so it becomes an unfunded mandate. For example, we know about a computer lab at a school in the Rustenburg area where they might put in a beautiful computer lab but it was an unfunded mandate because the Department of Education did not have a fun the funds for the teacher. And so the, the, the project is just standing still. You know, so uh, there needs to be, like Nick says, it's a very complicated thing and there needs to be collaboration from the national government, provincial government, local government and the mining companies themselves. And it might actually be better if there were centralized funding and structures to actually run these projects in a collaborative manner between the various role players, but not excluding the community, because if the community voice is not there, and the community voice is a very complex voice, it's not just the chief, it is not just the headman, it's not just the tribal council, it's women's organizations, it's environmental organizations, it's youth groups, it's all kinds of people that, that, that have an interest and that have a stake and that, have, uh, that feel the impact uh, of the mining. And I also think that there needs to be uh, a degree of, 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 of honesty from mining companies. For example, in the areas where we work, there's a lot of cracked housing as a result of the uh, blasting and so on that happens from, uh, from, from mining. And yet the mines refuse to take responsibility for the cracked housing. And um, that's what Donald was talking about, our earlier caller. Y you know, yes, yes, uh, yes. Where they are as homeowners then saddled with uh, these problems. That's right. And I've got Chamber of Mine scientific reports in my possession that shows that the, the chamber knows that mining and, and, and its scientists, its researchers have found that it's mining that caused the, uh, the, the, the cracked housing. But communities are told, no, it's your inferior architecture or it's your in inferior planning. And, 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 and yet, and building methods. And yet, you will see when people go back to their rural areas to build houses, they really build proper houses. They build decent houses, not township matchboxes or RDP houses, decent proper houses. And now for your, your lifelong investment to start cracking up and falling apart, that really is a, a downer. 0891104208, that's the number to dial, and we are taking more calls now on the forum at ATRN AM Live at, at SAFM. Uh, Mike in Randburg, good morning. Good morning, Sakina. How are you? Very well, thanks. And you, Mike? Yeah, welcome, Sakina, to SAFM and your, and your guests. Thank you. Uh, Sakina, I, I think we are not digging deeper into the real problem. 
South Africa has been mining gold, mining coal, mining diamond. Uh, platinum is a new commodity, as it may one look at it. But why is it having so many problems? Is it the pre- problem of the leadership? Is it the problem within the union scope of 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 of, of, of the uh, of the environment? What is it really happening within platinum? Is it an international commodity which is required by everybody? There are things that we have not yet really dig deeper and find out the real problem. Mm. Is it real matunjwa, the problem in the whole thing? Okay. Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, Boraki in Bloemfontein, good morning. Yes, good morning. Good morning, ma'am. Morning. Yeah, uh, I just contribute here, basically. It's, uh, first of all, we're talking about mining. And, uh, okay, we're talking in English now. Mostly the miners themselves, who are the very people who are affected, cannot contribute to the topic. That's one thing that hurts. And then another thing also is the fact that uh, looking at the mining in South Africa, it has never been correct. We look at how the Afrikaner people actually fought against the mining uh, madness those days. They never could win. The only way they won was when they become managers and all the other lives. But other than that, they could not win at all. So I think here also we need to train our people. The government set aside a certain mind and train our people in such a way that they can contribute positively. And then we should get away from this thing of before you get a job, you must have certain experience. Mm. This is another way of apartheid, whereby you're trying to keep people away so that you can hire who you like. Under sure. the pretext of experience. But I why then, thank you so much, Baraki, it, it, it then brings into question, uh, you know, why we have a document such as the Mining Charter. But let's go to Kwamashu. Um, Tamero, good morning. Always. Morning. Ujad. Good and you? Yes, I'm fine. Uh, you know what, Sakina, uh, my class really is, uh, is, is a lack of leadership. Uh, leaders who fail to provide uh, a leadership to, to the members of the union, especially I am Queen and Joseph Matunja. He is living the luxury life wherever he is. Every day he, he, he gets a meal, a full meal, and while the rest of the, the, the workers are actually uh, uh, not having anything to eat uh, for, for the day. And when you find at the end of the, the whole process, because this mission is becoming clear, is impossible, and then at the end of the day, uh, the companies, they all, always have the recovery plan to recover in whatever losses they, they, they had. And mm-hmm. then they, 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 the workers do not have any plan to recover from this because it's going over over two months now. And then is this a, the backlog that they will have, they will, they will suffer. And then the, the problem is a leadership, uh, the way I, okay. I, I look at it. Yeah. Thank you, Tamera. And Mike in Cape Town, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Okay, don't seem to have Mike there. But um, let me just read uh, some of the SMSs as well and uh, get uh, the guys in the panel to respond. Uh, this one here from uh, Malvin Masangu says, uh, we, rock, we rock drill operators from the Eastern Cape were promised by the union that we will be redeployed to work in the gas, uh, the, the, the gas mines in the Karoo as operators. And another one here from Enoch in Rustenburg. Enoch says, it is very difficult here in Rustenburg. Shops and banks are 
are empty. Crime rate has skyrocketed. And another one, the arrogance of mine bosses is driven by non-caring government because they get money from the heartless mine bosses. The worst part is the so-called analysts who always side with the mines on uh, the call of the miners and call the miners uneducated for asking 12,500. That's Silo and Mokopane. And then another one here says, any specific reason why the majority of workers in this area come from the Eastern Cape instead of people from Northwest? Uh, let's start with you, David. Yeah, I think the, the reason why uh, people come from the Eastern Cape was in 1988, the apartheid government stopped all the contracts of migrant laborers from Malawi, um, basically uh, on the argument that HIV AIDS came from Central, Central Africa. So people got sent home uh, in large numbers, and they had to find alternative uh, workers for that. And the Eastern Cape was... Uh, identified as the labor sending area by the apartheid government. Um, and so uh, they joined with people from the Sutu and so on that, that, that comes into the mining areas of, 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 uh, of Rustenburg. It's a historic, it's a historic thing. And, and, and that historic thing is, is, is staying with us and it's complicating issues uh, quite a lot in terms of um, um, how to uh, go forward with mining with mining in the country. Um, you know, so um, I also think that uh, with regard to uh, the strike, I'm sure the union has a strike fund that it is busy using at the moment, but that the income of the workers is still very badly affected and their ability to survive and so on is very badly affected despite the fact that it has a strike fund. Just like the companies also have, I, um, this morning I read in the newspaper that uh, Impala in fact had a stockpile a two-month stockpile of platinum that it's putting out into the mm. market. I know that Anglo had a huge stockpile as well that it's putting out into the market. I know that there is a, a, a that, that, that there was an overproduction of platinum in the world, and so that overproduction is being eaten away now. So the platinum price will probably start uh, rising again. And Bloomberg and so on are predicting that the platinum price will go up by 2015 to uh, uh, well, it rose by 5.2 percent already this year, and it will continue to rise into the next year. And uh, investment and and so on are actually saying it's a good place to invest in because of the fact that, uh, uh, you know, the platinum price and so on will, will eventually rise as a result of the strike. Um, also, two years ago, in their uh, annual general reports, both uh, Impala and Anglo indicated that some of the shafts in the Rustenburg area were actually coming near to the end of life, you know, and so uh, this strike might actually facilitate a process of retrenchment of workers uh, and allow these companies to actually uh, either mothball those shafts or sell those shafts off and this is a big problem in South Africa because we've got 6,000 abandoned mines that have not been properly closed and this is where the Zamazamas so are and the illegal creating new uh, problems creating new problems altogether and in Johannesburg alone there are 600 abandoned mines so we have an industry really that is also not responsible. Nick? Yeah I think um, you know mining is, is by definition uh, an industry that has negative impacts and we're hearing a lot of those impacts and, you know, the responsibility of the mines is firstly to, uh, I think, follow the laws and, and regulations and then to mitigate the impacts of mining to the extent that they can and uh, to the extent that it's realistic. I think the strike um, has come through in a lot of comments in the SMSs and it's a bit of a no-win situation. From, from I'm not an economist, um, but just an as an observer, it, it seems like all parties are, are, um, are, are losing out. And yes, there is uh, absolutely a, a role for strong leadership, uh, leadership that can actually bring government, bring um, mining bosses together 
um, to look at, um, you know, not just the strike and, and, and dealing with short-term issues like that, um, but, but looking at the, the whole socioeconomic um, uh, space of, of mining and why the charter um, is, is good in principle but, but sometimes falls short in terms of delivery. Uh, what are the obligations of governments? How do the IDPs and the integrated development plans work effectively? What, is, what can mines do that they're good at doing that makes the best difference for communities? Because they can't do everything. The mines aren't government. Um, but they can invest substantially and they can, uh, I think, do, um, make, make a, a, a positive difference, a, a very strong positive difference if they are uh, working within their comfort zone and within, within their capabilities. So, yeah, it's a complex, it's a very complex space. Um, mm. And, and um, uh, you know, there's no one answer. I think what David's saying is he's pointing out a lot of the, the issues and I think those issues are real. Um, and, and they're difficult to, to sometimes come to terms with. Let me just uh, run through a few last comments and uh, questions, and unfortunately we won't have much time to answer them except for one that I've noted here that I'll ask a very short response to. But uh, Tando Emin on uh, Twitter says, Minds need to undergo a fundamental paradigm shift from predatory capitalist thinking to corporate citizenship. And another one says, uh, an SMS this time says, I just wonder whether these mind bosses who earn excessively bloated wages wouldn't take to the streets like the poor miners who uh, yearn for decent wages if their wages were to be slashed. That was unsigned. Uh, but another one says, uh, mechanize, retrench 90% of the miners uh, at, uh, and pay the remaining miners much more. And someone else says, what about taking the Botswana approach where foreign workers are employed on a two-year contract which uh, stupefies that they need to transfer skills to locals? And then finally, Edison from Durban says, please ask how much are mining houses losing per day, per week, per month, and how much would they be paying in total on salaries if 12500 for the entire strike force, uh, why would they rather lose so much more than pay the miners? And maybe just a very quick response to that one, David. Well, I think it's a very, very good question. And I think until now, 4.4 billion uh, rands have been lost in wages. And the, uh, the mines claim to have lost about 10 billion uh, in terms of, 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 of income. And it is a question that, that I find worrying. Because it seems like we are having a standoff here with people not wanting to find each other. And uh, the standoff... Uh, is costing everybody a lot of money and uh, you know all the money lost the 10 billion that the industry has lost by now surely could have covered the the increase that workers are are, are actually asking for and I, I really think that yes mining needs to be re-engineered in South Africa it needs to be reconfigured altogether um, and uh, South Africa needs to actually uh, create an industry that actually benefits the country much more than what it's doing at the moment. And unfortunately, that's where we're going to have to leave this one uh, for this morning. Uh, Mr. Nick Rocky, the Managing Director at Trilog, and David Van Veek, Lead Researcher at Benchmarks. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you, Sakina. And to the team, Nswaki Ku, Apiwe Honono, Tracy Boomgard, uh, Jake Makoma, and Marumo Kekana, Senior Producer, Abriel Mpofu, Donald Piri, and Tengue Basso, technical producer Mark Preller and uh, special Radhan Togozo and of course uh, also to our senior producers Busi Chane and Aubrey Sechia. Thank you so much for listening this morning.